Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of The Dairy Edge. Chagas are running a weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which is also being made available as a podcast. On this week's webinar, James Dunn joins Stuart Childs to explore the decision around the best time to end the breeding season and considers the economics of spring calving herds milking on through the winter. Okay, good morning, everyone, and welcome to uh, this week's Let's Talk Dairy. So we're off for, I took a break myself there now for the last two weeks. Uh, so back to the to grindstone this week now. So it might seem like a strange topic that we're covering today in terms of the economics of late calving cows, but uh, James will be talking about it now in particular. So I'm not going to steal any of his lines, basically. But we are at a point now where we can eliminate some of the late calvers that we're going to be talking about. Obviously, there's a proportion of them that we won't be able to eliminate. But I suppose just going through the um, the idea behind it, I suppose, like, again, James is going to show it. There's still a, quite a lot of cows in spite of our progress in six-week calving rate with the last number of years moving up into the 60s only, really, to be honest. Uh, now, while we have farms that are doing the 80s, high 80s and the 90s, on average across the country, we're still only calving 60 to 63, 4% in six weeks um, in terms of the spring calving block. So that means that there's quite a number of cows still calving quite late relative to the grass growing season, which we're trying to take advantage of. Uh, and James is just going to, I suppose, give a little bit of background first, I suppose, in relation to the actual late calving cows, timing of insemination versus or serve versus when they're going to calve at this stage now, and then go through an example in terms of how uh, changing that can be a positive for a farm. Uh, and in particular, I would say from a labor point of view that those late calving cows uh, especially in herds of cows, you know, as, as I said to you before, that are in the range of 100 cows on average across the country. Uh, those couple of cows that they might, might be only a few cows in every farm, but those couple of cows that are calving that in May and June can actually impact on breeding performance uh, in terms of submission rates for the actual herds that have done their, their job and been gone back in calf in, at the right stage. And it just makes it quite tiresome for people as well when they're trying to breed cows uh, maybe watch a couple of cows that are still to calve and obviously look after the calf when it's born as well. So I'll hand over to you, James, for to go through your slides. And, uh, and with, as we said, we'll, I'll hop in and out with a few questions as we're going along. And I'd encourage people to put in questions as well there on the Q&A as we go along too. So thanks, James. Perfect. Thanks, Stuart. And um, thanks for inviting me on, I suppose. Look, at, I want to say at the outset, my colleague, George Ramsbottom, um, has put a lot of the economics together and I suppose I've built on it a little bit with a farm scenario at the end. So um, we want to thank George for his input, I suppose, and make that clear from the start. Um, Lucas, as, as you said, Stuart, I want to have a quick chat around decisions around ending the breeding season. And this will have happened on some farms at this stage, at this stage and, and may not have happened on others. So we'll have a, a quick chat on that. We'll spend a good bit of time looking at the economics around milking through the winter. Um, so milking these late calving cows on, what's the economics around that? And also um, in terms of the margins of finishing these late calving cows on farm, um, we'll, have, we'll have a look at the economics around that. We then have, Stuart, a real-life farm scenario. So I suppose a, a farmer I worked with there a number of weeks ago and... Um, some of the key considerations, I suppose, that he took into um, that he took into consideration around the time and event in the breeding season, and I suppose how he wanted to try and tighten up a, a somewhat lax calving pattern um, to, to benefit both him and the farm. 
So look at um suppose, James as well, the other side before you go, go on is like this is a this isn't maybe well there's two scenarios here that you're going to go through. There's the nuclear scenario where you just stop it and start from scratch nearly or hit the reset button. But there's also what you're going to look at here is actually trying to manage your way through this process over the next maybe two to three years to get to a scenario where you're back to where you want to be in terms of calving pattern really like as well. Uh, absolutely sure. And some people will decide, as you said, to, to maybe try and reset and start afresh. Whereas some people maybe over a two or three year period will look to tighten up calving patterns um, and work their way through it that way. And I suppose even from the economics point of view, Stuart, um, I'll be going through a number of assumptions and those assumptions can change somewhat, but they won't differ in terms of the economics that greatly um, when we're looking at the milk and true economics and the finishing of lake calving cows. So we, we'll have a chat about those assumptions as we go um, in terms of what we're actually using for the economics that I'm going to present. So Lucas, um, just a quick summary um, in terms of our national calving stats, we've about 1.4 million calvins um, from January to June um, over a rolling three-year period. Of that, 65,000 cows calve in January, 521,000 cows calve in February, 483,000 cows calve in March. But I suppose the group of cows, Stuart, that we're going to talk about today really is that kind of the group from April to June. Um, you made the point we are making progress. Um, albeit maybe somewhat slower than than we'd like it to be, with 25% of our cows um, nationally calving from April to June. So one in four cows, I suppose, in 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 the national average herd is calving sometime between April and June. So look at just a quick recap, and for some of these dates at the top of this table, the ship the ship has sailed as such. But I think it's no harm to, to actually recap if we actually look at breeding date and assume a gestation length of 285 days, where is our expected calving date? So I suppose for farms that want to be finished up calving by the end of April, first day of May, you're looking at the 20th of July. So bull come out a month ago. And we can work our way down through that. I suppose, Stuart, one date that is coming up um, is tomorrow's the 20th of August. Um, anyone that pulls the bull tomorrow, I suppose, will ensure that there's no June calvers on the farm um, next June, June 2022. So that is one of the dates that's, uh, that, that's still achievable, I suppose. And um, when we do actually look, as I said, nearly 50,000 cows calve in June um, around the country. So... Um, bull can come out tomorrow and it'll mean that we will have no June calvers um, next year. So to get into a little bit of the, the economics and when we actually look at it, if we look at a group of cows that have that can deliver six and a half thousand litres or 500 kilos of milk solids um, and we look at them on per month of calving, the arrow here you can see coming down in mid-February, I suppose, is a typical turnout date. And Stuart, you mentioned it in terms of what we're actually trying to achieve is to produce as much of that lactation off grazed grass and lower levels of concentrate input as possible. And I suppose if we put in a typical dry-off date there of mid-December, 
we can see that that February calf cow can produce her full lactation, 305-day lactation for 6,500 litres or 500 kilos of milk solids within that period. And if we look to the right of the table in terms of a feed and forage cost um, on a per cow basis, um, it works out at 608 euros. And we look at the breakdown of that on the next slide. But that February calf cow we know um, has the cheapest feed cost um, out of all our counterparts on that table. If we work our way down through the table then and actually look at from, from a, what can we actually produce between that mid-February to mid-December period. Um, so our March calf cow, with the potential, as I said, to, to deliver 6,500 litres, will deliver just over 6,000 litres. Our April calf cow, 5,600 litres. Our May calf cow, just over 5,200 litres. And our June calver, which I spoke about on the last slide, will deliver 4,700 litres of our 6,500 litre potential in our 305 day. So I suppose, Stuart, what it means is that there's a larger proportion of their milk being produced from the 15th of December on over that winter period. Yeah, so just to point out, James, I suppose that the 6013 there for the March calver plus the 488, which is over here by March, is going to bring it up to the 6,500. And all of these numbers, when they're put together, are equivalent to the January calf, I would say. So they're all producing six and a half thousand, but it's just when they're producing it is what is, is the, the difference, basically. Absolutely, Stuart. And I suppose, and look of, at... Of course, then as well, with your, your June calf there or your May calf where your drop-down line is coming for December, they obviously have a lot less milk supplied if they're dried off at that stage in particular. Exactly. You have an extra 1,268 litres to, to produce over that winter period for your May calf and nearly 1,800 litres for that June calver that has to be produced from the, from the 15th of December onwards. So when we actually look at the feed cost then, Stuart, as a, as, as a result, we can see, um, and we'll see on the next slide, the level of grazed grass in the diet, uh, the total level consumed is reduced. So the level of concentrate and silage increases. So we can see our February calf cow there and it's worth pointing out that's a very good cost of production at 608 um, euros from a feed cost point of view. But that increases from 608 to 647 for our March calver to 674 for our April, 734 for our May, and up until 753 euros for our June. So there's 145 euros of an additional feed cost from your February to June calver. Doesn't sound huge, James, but like when you like when you take that there's twenty five percent of the national herd when, when, in that later period, like when you add up your April, May, and June calvers exactly, and put twenty five percent of your herd in there, um, and calculate that out. Don't forget, Stuart, that's feed and forage only. I okay. suppose there's yeah. no additional labour um, overhead costs in terms of running the parlour and so on and so forth. So that's additional feed only. Um, but you're, you're, you're right, 25% of the herd, when we actually look at 25% of the herd in here, it mightn't seem a lot on an individual cow basis, but it adds up when we multiply it across at herd level. Just have a quick look in terms of wh where those figures actually come from. And if we look at that February calf cow, you pointed out, Stuart, look at 
we're wanting to calve her down to grass. We want to consume as much grass as we can. And there, that February calf cow is consuming just in around four ton of grazed grass, um, just over a ton of silage, 1,029 kilos, and a concentrate input level of 525 kilos. And that's what gives us that 608 euros of a total feed and forage costs. When we work our way down in terms of the grass um, column, you can actually see that obviously that the, the level of grass 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 consumed is reducing to just over three and a half ton for a March calver, and it tails off to right down to just over two and a half ton for the June calver. So there's 1.5 ton of potential grass grass there that isn't being consumed by that June calver. So you can actually see that in terms of the silage consumed, it doubles Stuart from the February calver. It goes from just over one ton of silage consumed to just over two ton of silage consumed. There's an extra 340 kilos of additional concentrate in there as well. And I suppose that's where that 145 euros of an additional feed charge comes from. It's worth mentioning, I suppose, the January calver as well, um, because they're spending the first 30 days, Stuart, of their lactation inside. So there is an additional um, silage demand and also additional concentrate demand, which is pushing that feed cost up by the best part of 53 or 4 euros compared to their February counterpart um, that, that goes to grass. There's a question in there now, James, as well, and I suppose it's a very valid point because even with the, the meal figures that we're using there for the for this assumption, they're they're probably better than or they are they're definitely better than national average because we're probably seven fifty to eight hundred on average. But if the silage quality is in the mid sixties DMD compared to mid seventies, how does that affect the extra cost of milking through? Like, absolutely, and and what we see on those farms, Stuart, is that that rather than and I we've worked off. Um, five kilos a meal for ex for every extra day in milk, but where we see is that there's actually additional feeds going in. Uh, let it be maybe more concentrate or some okay, other forms forage, of additional yeah. forages um, yeah. to try and to try and ensure that 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 lactation, I suppose, potential is met. Yeah. So the feed costs will work further. As I said, this is a very very good level. The base is a very good um, cost of production level. So this will be much greater on some farms where forage quality um, is, is below optimal. So look, at, to put it in, in, in the herd context as such, and if we use the national calving profile for a 100 cow herd, 5% of the cows calve in January, 36% in February, 34% in March, 14% in April, 8% in May, and 3% in June. Um, the ship has sailed as such, Stuart, for the 20th of July um, in terms of to avoid these next year. But as I say, um, tomorrow is D-Day as such for the June calvers. Um, if, 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 if we don't want them, um, we, need to, we need to finish the breeding season tomorrow. I suppose, James, just before you go on there, it's a critical point in that sense, in that we, we were discussing it before we came on air there like that the reality is if cows go in calf uh, on a farm the vast majority of farmers do not sell them um in spite of maybe intending to sell them 
when it actually comes to the, as you call it, we'll say if you take a D-Day next spring and they decide that they're going to get rid of these June calvers, the proportion of people that actually do that uh, isn't huge. So if you don't, if you're not in the habit of selling those late calvers uh, and you find that you fall into that scenario every year, don't put them in calf or otherwise you're going to stay in the exact same position that you're in. Could be just telling you, Stuart, that they're going to sell them because it's, um, it, it shuts the conversation down right away, I suppose. Um, whether they're sold or not is a different story. As you say, often they're not sold on farms. Look, at, there's a lot of talk about um, adding value to cull cows and um, there'll be more in calf. And um, I suppose when we look at the economics going forward here, Stuart, how, how you cull cows, I suppose, um from our point of view, um, doesn't really matter. And people will call cows different ways. Um, and we look at adding value maybe to these cold cows. But um, the important thing is that the cow is cold um, mm. and, and that the repeat situation doesn't happen over and over. It's really breaking that cycle, I suppose, is the important point. Um, the one thing I will say is if everybody decides to put the May and June calves in calf uh, and cash in on them, um, there's probably a bit of a niche market there. Um, and niche markets are only niche markets when they're undersubscribed. Yeah. So um, I think, look, at that, that's an important point to note. And again, just before you move on there now, um, James, to, uh, you're ideally positioned to answer this question now because Tony McCrossan is asking for people in the extreme northwest. Uh, you wouldn't have many days at grass in January and February. So would you care to comment in that sense? Yep. Um, Look, I'm based in Ballyhays. Um, Stewart's based in Moor Park, so we we our, our spring our spring turnout dates differ slightly. And look, at the, there's been a lot of work done on that. Um, really, I suppose that's where Cavan start date Stewart will dictate. I suppose when we look at turnout dates, and there's a lot of trial work done in Ballyhays, and probably the start date is two to three weeks, two weeks probably later than than our counterparts in the south. But I suppose even on the heavy soils farms, and we have a great example or a couple of great examples in the northern half of the country, they can actually maybe get lots of grazing done in February, sometimes short, and March could be the tough month. Um, so I think a lot of these farms, they're still working off the same, they're still working off the same principles, but there's probably days, Stuart, where they're not going to get to grass and they just have to put in high quality silage. But I don't think it, it, it shouldn't change the, the key principles that we're working around. It just means that we may not be fit to achieve as many grazing days in the spring as our counterparts that have a very dry farm. Yeah, and I suppose, James, this is kind of a, a good time to mention Emma Louise did a good podcast there with Danny Birmingham on a, a week Absolutely. or two this week, I think, actually. And Danny's a great guy. He's a fantastic for, example. Like, he's working on really challenging soil now. Um, and, like achieving high days with a very compact calving and he sees compact calving as being a very important piece of his jigsaw having come from a scenario kind of like what you're talking for about there currently like so i think that's well worth people listening into as well so absolutely so lucas if if we actually look at these cows and and possibly adding value or what is the margin in terms of milking these cows on um, we said we've looked at this national average stats across 100 cows. Um, that March calver is going to be milked on into the middle of January um, and dried off. Obviously, each cow is going to be, or each cow is going to be dried off 60 days prior to calving. So, 
middle of January, they'll be milled on to the, in terms of the March calvers, uh, middle of February, the April, uh, middle of March to May, and, and middle of April, the June calvers. So when we look at that, we've 34 um, March calves cows, they're going to produce 488 litres. So as Stuart rightly pointed out, that's the additional milk in terms of that 6,500 litres. Um, and that's bringing those cows up to a 305 day lactation. So that produces 16 and a half, just over 16 and a half thousand litres. Um, same calculation across for our April calvers produces just over 12,000 litres. Our May calvers, obviously there's less of them, but they're producing uh, still a long way to go in terms of their lactation. So that's just over 10,000 litres. And our June calvers, uh, 1,788 litres by three cows is just 5,364 litres. So in total, that hundred cow herd um, will produce or should produce 44,392 litres of additional milk. So I suppose the point to make here, Stuart, is there's still a large proportion of annual revenue um, that is to be produced because that calving pattern, I suppose, isn't where we'd like it to be. Really, this equates to 30 days of milk per cow across that 100 cow herd. So if we want to bring all the cows to a 305 day lactation, we're milking them all in this situation. If we don't and we dry off Stuart on the 15th of December, our average days in milk for the herd will be back at 275 days. So as I say, there's a large proportion of milk to be produced because we have such a, such a large number of those later calvers um, in the herd. Compare that, I suppose, with where we'd like our calving patterns to be, and I suppose where the target is, Stuart, in terms of maybe 70% calving in February, 20% in March, and 10% in April. The difference is 18,500 litres produced versus 44,392 litres, so less than half. And I suppose we know herds with a good calving profile, the lower production costs, but they also, as we can see there, have much less milk produced after the 15th of December. And I suppose the decision around milking on in this situation, sure, if we give the fact that these March calvers, there's 20 of them, but they're only going to be milked on until the 15th of January. And they have to be dried off as, as, as we're taking it that they're going to calve down in, in March again, the mid-March again. There's 10 cows left there in that herd to milk from the 15th of January to whenever calving start date is, we'll say the first days of February. So obviously in a lot of cases, um, in, in these situations that the, the option of milking on, and as you rightly said to me a number of weeks ago, um, there has to be a number. Um, there, there, there's a time in herds where the number of cows gets that small where the economics don't add up in terms of starting the parlor morning and evening, you know. Um, so look at same same number of cows, lax calving pattern, I suppose, national, national average versus where we'd like it to be. There's a massive difference in terms of the milk produced over that period of time. From the Very roughly, there's about 10 grand in the difference in those profiles there at the moment based on kind of current average milk prices. like. Exactly. And this equates to 12 days in milk. So you're going to get 293 days in milk of an average across that 100 cows with that calving pattern um, up until the 15th of December. 
So we're going to actually look at those figures exactly that you mentioned, Stuart. Um, we look, there's two periods really to be analysed. There's the overwinter milking margin and there's also a fattening margin. Um, and we look at both sets of economics and we can combine both sets of economics. So if we look at that overwinter milking period, look at, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to run through each line because the calculation is the same, but we, we spoke about our 488 litres. There's an extra 31 days in milk there. The milk value is 185 euros. We're taking off our feed, forage and overhead costs. And I just want to maybe bring you to the assumptions in terms of where they're coming from. So our total milk price, Stuart, is 38 cent a litre used in this analysis. 34 cent base and 4 cent bonuses, okay? Meal price of 32 cent a kilo. Um, with five kilos fed per head per extra day in milk. A silage price of 15 cent a kilo, dry matter. And there's an additional three kilos fed per head per extra day in milk. And what I mean by that is if the cows were, were dry, they would be consuming a certain amount of silage anyway. So all we're adding in there is the additional silage consumed because that animal is obviously lactating and intakes are going to be greater. And then there's an overhead cost of 50 cent per cow per day in terms of the run of the para. I have to make the point, Stuart, that own labor isn't included there. So when we're looking at these margins, um, that has to be considered. It's really a margin for, for, for own labor. Um, another point to make, I suppose, is for each additional day in milk, and those figures, it's €2.55 um, of feed, forage, and overhead costs. Okay. So we can see as we work across there, the margin for that March calf cow is €106. Um, the April calf cow is €176. The May calf cow is €252. And the June calf cow is €371. Okay. Obviously, it's increasing fairly dramatically given the amount and proportion of milk and the days extra in milk as we work our way down through the table. So what does it actually mean for that 100 cow herd that we actually looked at? Um, we can see our 44,000 litres uh, or just over 44,000 litres that we spoke about is produced here. We're using the 38 cent a litre um, price assumption that, we, that we're working off, which equates to €16,859 in additional milk revenue. The feed, forage and overhead costs, as I stated on the previous um, slide, are €2.55 a day for each additional day per cow. And that works out at €7,665. Um, so when we look at the margin, Stuart, in terms of milking, on in that herd for a hundred cow herd, um, it's nine thousand one hundred and ninety-four euros, or ninety-one euros a cow across the full herd. So you're looking at the best part of a hundred euros per cow across the full hundred cows. Compare that then to um, where we'd like our calving pattern to be. I suppose um, we spoke about the eighteen and a half thousand liters. Extra milk sales there work into just over 7,000 with the feed and forage and overhead costs working into just over 3,000 euros. And that leaves 
a margin of 3,883 euros or 38 euros a cow across the full 100 cows. I suppose the... And I suppose I'd make the argument there, James, then as well, like in the vast majority of cases, that's really only going to be that 2,128 from the March calvers because those April calvers are going to be dried off at the same time. In Absolutely. Majority cases. So, so we're, we're, we're looking at about 20% of the revenue uh, compared to the exact same size herd um, at national stat, calving stats. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, we look at the fattening costs, and this happens on some farms, sure, it, it doesn't happen on other farms. And look, we'd work our way through it in terms of what the actual margins is on it. There's a number of assumptions here, which, which we'll work on. I'll try and explain it before I explain the figures. So I suppose we're looking at a dry period here of 30 days. Um, intakes assumed there are that kind of 10 kilos dry matter a day. The finishing period is for 60 days at 13 kilos dry matter intake a day. We're working off a carcass weight of 271 kilos and a grade of 03 and that's 43% kill-out percentage. The slaughter values that we've used is based off CSO and Irish Farmers Journal data for the months April to July from 2017 to 2020. So the average across that period for each month. So your April price is 310 a kilo. Your May price is 330. Your June price is 322 and your July price is 3.17 euros a kilo. The margin assumes a live weight of dry off at 5.70 kilos, which is approximately 15 euros maintenance sub-index. So something in or around where um, we're at nationally, Stuart. And the opportunity cost, I suppose, because there is an opportunity cost in terms of selling this cow directly out of the parlor. Um, uh, the opportunity cost to cull that cow live at dry off is assumed at one euro live weight in January, one euro ten in February, and one euro twenty in March and April. As I said, those figures come from that period of time as well, so the average over that period. So if we take, we'll take our March as an example. Um, the month they'll be dried off is mid-January. The month they're going to be finished is mid-April. Their value at dry off is that one euro live waste at 570 kilos, which is 570 euros. Finishing cost is 174 euros and carcass value using those stats will be 840 euros. So the margin over finishing there is 96 euros. If we take the June calver then as an example, they're going to be dried off in April. They're going to be finished in July. The value of dry off is higher because the live weight value is higher at that stage. So it's 684 euros. The finishing cost is 134 euros. And the reason it's lower for May and June is we're assuming that there's grazed grass, Stuart, um, in the diet, obviously, at that stage, because they're not being finished till June and July. The carcass value is 859 euros. So the margin over finishing um, for your June calver is 41 euros. 
So I suppose really the question, Stuart, and, and the questions for farmers and, and people on the call and farmers in general really is, there's a margin somewhere between 41 and 96 euros. Um, I suppose there's a number of things to be considered. Um, and we had this chat a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, in terms of forage availability, I suppose, is one. Um, infrastructure, in terms of what, what actually infrastructure is available um, on the farm. Is there enough feed space? Is there enough cubicle space? Um, there's also, uh, in terms of slurry storage, and I suppose a big one, Stuart, probably, as you pointed out to me at that point, was um, nitrates. Um, these animals are remaining on the farm for a further 90 days. So each individual farmer really has to have, have to ask themselves the question in terms of where they are in terms of nitrates. And for that margin, um, I suppose, is it worth their is it is it worth their while? The margin is relatively small compared to the milk and margin sure. Okay. And I suppose the big thing then there, James, as well, is if you just go yeah, to there. So your dry-off month is here, obviously, uh, and your month of finishing is in here. So in this period of time, we are now trying to calve our spring calving hard again. And we have an extra bunch of, a small bunch in a lot of cases, uh, yeah. in reality, on most farms that have to be housed separately or maybe kind of divided off separately, as you've already said, in relation to the infrastructure, because they're being fed differently. But they're also another job that now needs to be done at that stage of the year as well. Uh, and the, the big thing that I would say in, in this scenario, like, and I'm probably stealing your, your finishing a small bit in one sense, there is money to be made in this, but it's small money in the overall scheme of things compared to the, the, the cow buyers that are out there that are, maybe could be finishing 100 of cows every month. So they, they can be making slightly, they might be making a lesser margin potentially, maybe got, they might be making a greater margin, but they have more of them. So it's worth their while basically doing it compared to every fellow doing his own 10 cows basically, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and as you say, it's, it's relatively small numbers. Um, you made the point, and, and I think it's a very valid point in terms of the labour and the fact that there's so much going on farm at this stage. Um that 41 euros for your June calf cow, it could end up costing you an awful lot more, Stuart. We're assuming that these don't have an impact on uh, the rest of the herd. Um, and if they do take up that uh, certain amount of time or possibly putting shed space under pressure or whatever it is, um, that could be a negative return and not a positive return, you know? Yeah, and the other side of it, James, I suppose, for those later dried off cows as well, in reality, when we look at budgets and stuff like that, the chances of them getting much grass grass into the system unless they're going after an out block, slim enough. Slim, absolutely. Absolutely. I suppose where we see those being kept probably is where there's additional out blocks and yeah. um, maybe not yeah. being utilised. But I suppose we have to point out the margin is relatively small. And when you total it up, because the numbers are small, it doesn't work into a lot of money. Yeah. Whereas we can add a lot of value, Stuart, to these late calf cows um, by actually milking them on um, if, if everything is suitable in terms of being fit to do that on farm. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, look, at, 
if we look at if, if, if we look at actually combining the milking and finishing margin, what can we actually add in terms of total value to this hundred cow herd? So we had said uh, 9,194 euros for the margin in terms of milk and all, Stuart. But when we actually combine that with, and our assumptions here is that we're calling 10% of the March calvers, 20% of the April calvers. And as you pointed out, um, in this situation, this man is saying, right, we're taking out the May and June calvers. We're going to reset um, so he's calling out those eight May calvers, three June calvers. So he's working out there. I think it's 17 cows being culled. Um, but when we actually look at it, we've over nine grand from the milking margin. There's just over a thousand euros in terms of that fattening margin for those 17 cows. Sure. Okay. But when we do combine it, there's over 10 grand. There's 10,319 euros of a margin on these cows. Um, this is a point and I kind of alluded to it earlier on um, but I think it's an important point um, really look at for every farm the farm margin that justifies milking through the winter it's, it's going to differ on every individual farm um, we can see we went through the 100 cow scenario um, obviously we have that for the 50 cow scenario so when we look at that milking on margin plus finishing margin um, at national average stats for the 50 cow example, it's 5,160 euros with a good calving pattern is two and a half thousand euros. And obviously when we go to, to, when we double that up in terms of 200 cows, sure, there's just over 20,000 available there. And with the poor calving pattern and with the excellent calving pattern, there's 10 grand available. So there does come a point in time where you actually have to say, well, do you know what? Um, it's not worth it's not worth my, my while, as you say. Um, if it's the March, April calvers uh, being milked on, they're going to be dried the middle of January. You're not going to milk ten cows on, and you're definitely not going to milk five cows on the fifty cow scenario. All right. Yeah. Look at some considerations, and we'll touch on them with the farm, um, the farm example. Um, but labour availability, and you touched on it, Stuart. Now, in terms of the, the impact on, I suppose, uh, the labour. Um, in a lot of cases, I suppose, um, and jump in, Stuart, because um, in a lot of cases, that kind of from the fifteenth of December until the first of February, or whenever it is. I think I made the point that there's there's a bit of time for family, but you rightly um, made the point that there's a bit of time also not to have to get into the pit of the parlour every day, um, and it's getting ready for it's getting ready for that spring period. Yeah, I think James Martina makes the point as well. Like, if while you're milking these cows, maybe is there something that you should be doing to prepare for the spring that you just don't get around to doing, or that gets delayed? We'll say kind of knock-on effects of maybe potentially doing this like and as you said does the positive margin that you're going to incur or, or reap will say actually get knocked out somewhere along the way as well but you just don't ever see it kind of that's and that the the no different to me taking the two weeks off in the last two weeks that you come back ready for action a bit better like for, because of having a break yep absolutely and, and then there's the question Stuart I suppose is it 
is it single owner operator units where you're the only person on the farm or is there actually hired labor available? Um, that doesn't mean, I suppose, that if there's hired labor available, we should just be milking on because, um, because we've hired labor. Um, if you don't want to get into the pit of the parlor, there's a good chance that they possibly don't want to get into it for four or five weeks either. But um, that, that does have an impact. I think one thing there too that'll have an impact is possibly milking facility. And I don't think of it mentioned there, um, depending on where you are in terms of number of rows of cows throughout the year um, and how long it's actually going to take. Um, sometimes just getting that break um, from having to milk for that period of time. And even um, the layout of the yard, James, as well. Like, I mean, we even see it there with some of the spring calving herds, we'll say, where they're maybe trying to divide cows into different sheds and so forth and crossing yards. And with all the potential raft of changes in legislation that could be coming around trying to keep places clean and diverting water and so forth and not yep. collecting this, it may just not be worth the hassle at all to be doing this. If you're crossing the yard, if it's all under one roof, it can be quite convenient in, in a lot of cases in some of the newer units that have been built. But if there's yeah. a lot of effort required for it to do this, you'd have to wonder, is it is it worth people's while? And, and, and would it be just better to get it started, make sure that they have on time, breed on time, finish on time, basically dry off and be done for the Christmas or shortly after whatever their usual run is. Absolutely. And you make the point there, really, it's going to depend on what percentage of cows have you calving in that April to June period. We worked off 25% in that situation. We want to look at a farm situation where it's actually slightly higher. Um, but it's really breaking that cycle, Stuart. You know what I mean? If these bulls stay in and the cows aren't sold, um, the cycle continues as such. So if that's where you want to get to in terms of having the opportunity, and there'll be a lot of farms, Stuart, where they're, because of the revenue involved, they're actually not in a situation where they can make that decision as such, but work towards being in a position to make that decision, I suppose, is, is the most important point from today. Um, are there suitable replacements available to make up the difference if later calves are culled? Um, I think often this is actually maybe an excuse, Stuart, on farm, um, where there's not enough available. Um, I suppose there's a question then around, is it a closed herd? Isn't uh, whether it's closed herd or whether it isn't, there's there's lots of good stock available um, uh, out there in terms of February, March, um, early March calving heifers that are available. I think if farmers want to make the move here, when we actually look at the economics, it makes sense to 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 definitely look at those May June calvers and replace them with a February calved heifer. Um, herd size, we've mentioned. I'm not going to dwell on that again. There, there is there is a critical number in terms of how many. Um, you milk over the winter and look at there's lots of other factors somatic cell count and I think that's going to come to the fore maybe more Stuart over the coming years um, where that's asked and, and will cows benefit from uh, a longer dry period milk price um, when we run these stats a couple of years ago off a lower milk price uh, obviously that margin was was uh, much less Cull cow value, and if you can get a good price for cull cows at a particular time, you have to do your sums in terms of, um, am I better actually trade those cows? Accommodation, which I mentioned, which is very important, um, keeping these extra few cows, if it's going to have a negative impact on the rest of the herd because accommodation is tight, um, you're right, Stuart, those margins we spoke about could... Um, 
could turn into negative margins rather than positive margins. margins. Forage quantity and quality, which I think one of our viewers mentioned, um, and the need for quality forage if we are going to milk these cows on, um, are a number of considerations. So look at just maybe for 10 minutes, Stuart, we, we look at a farm scenario and if there's if there's any questions there, do feel free to jump in, jump in with them. Um, this particular farm I was working with, 41 uh, cows calving in February, 40 in March, 21 in April, 10 in May and 9 in June. So nearly as many cows calving in June as there was in May and as many cows calving in May and June as there was in April. Um, so 40 cows, um, which was one third of the herd calving from April to June. The calving report actually, in terms of calving interval, wasn't actually that bad. Um, we expected maybe a little bit worse, but it's, I suppose, Stuart, that there was cows calving down in May and they were still calving down in May um, the, the following year as such. You know, they weren't gaining time. The calving spread was up again 20 weeks there, which is, which is a fair old slog. Um, this was an individual owner operator um, with very little outside labour. Um, and six week calving rate was pretty much bang on where we are nationally, sure. Um, so, look at the current replacement rate. I want to draw your attention to that 13%. Okay. Um, very efficient. Very efficient, absolutely. And we'll, we'll look at the problems maybe that was causing. Herd EBI, um, overall herd EBI sitting at 87 euros. Um, definitely a move to improving that in the young stock. Um, whether I suppose the question, and maybe the viewers might want to come in on that, whether the young stock are um, of high enough quality, I suppose, to push this man on to where he wants to get to. Um, there'll always be a debate around that, Stuart, you know. Hard performance, 416 kilos of milk solids um, delivered, which was... Uh, the average for that co-op, but there'd be a relatively high level of feed going in on this farm. Uh, protein 331, fat at 373, and average milk price is low uh, and in the bottom 20% of the co-op. But as I said, 13% of a replacement rate with the average somatic cell count for the year at 278,000 just isn't going to cut it going forward, Stuart. Um, and causing lots of troubles, lots of trouble within the herd. So I suppose, look at this is something, Stuart, that we've devised and we I've kind of worked through with the farmer as such. It, it, it's an on-farm assessment, really. And to work our way through it, look at, we're, we're, we're working with some of the details of the calving report. Um, how many weeks was that farmer actually calving for? So the 19 weeks and two days. And the number of cows, I suppose, and that's the point, we have to actually look at how many cows are in that April to June period. We want to look at the replacement rate, and I suppose comment on that, that on this farm, it's too low. Um, uh, I suppose the point we made is it's far too low for this farm. Um, and really what was happening was there was a number of heifers being sold to generate income, Stuart, which happens on farm. Um, they're valuable animals um, They were being sold and there was May, June calf cows being held on to, um, to allow that to happen. But obviously somatic cell count is suffering as a result also. You have to assess at farm level then how many replacements have you and can you actually afford, as I said, can you actually afford to 
cull out these major and cow cows. Um, and in this situation, this man has plenty of stock this year, so he can if he doesn't sell the heifers. Um, we looked at the genetics, and I suppose there's a question then around um, are the heifers of good enough quality? Um, and that that question that question has to be answered by the farmer, and I suppose also whoever's working with the farmer. Um, so I suppose the plan this farmer come up with that there was 30 to 35 heifers required. There was 15 of these were stock bull bred. So the farmer decided that he was actually going to sell uh, the stock bull bred heifer Stuart and purchase in a number of high EBI heifers um, to, to, to get to that kind of 35 heifers required uh, mark to allow them to cull some of them June May calvers. I suppose in terms of the milk and on question, then um, you have to ask yourselves if all these animals are kept, is, are the facilities there to accommodate them? And in some cases, they won't be. Um, so irrespective of the margin, if the facilities aren't available, you pointed out, Stuart, they're going to have a negative, a negative effect on the herd. So they shouldn't be milked on. Is there slurry storage, I suppose, is, is another um, critical assessment. And will there be enough forage? And even James, I suppose, to consider with the slurry storage, are the 10 or 15 cows going to put you under extreme pressure for, in your case, the 1st of February, in our case, the 13th of January, to, that you're going to be forced to try, have to spread slurry at maybe in an inopportune time? And would you be just better off to have 10 less cows or 15 less cows over the a lot of the winter period to give you that little buffer that you might need in the short term? Um, to make sure that we're not spreading now, which is, look, it's becoming so important from an environmental point of view that we're able to hold our slurry to the point when we can use it more effectively rather than having to go with it. Like. And misuse of slurry probably is one of the biggest issues out there, Stuart. And it's solely, as you say, it comes down to... Um, to pressure, point. to yeah. pressure point, actually. It, it, it has to be spread and conditions may not be favourable, both ground and weather conditions. So... Um, but, but it must go out. Um, so really then, look at, we come up with a plan for this particular man. The reason I want to look at this is we look at the economics for this farm. He's going to, he or he did, um, as a result, end the breeding season on 30th of July. Um, but he's going to, he decided he's going to milk these cows on. He has the accommodation. He has the slurry storage. We like spending money um, back up here, Stuart. So there's plenty of sheds, plenty of tank space, and plenty of silage. So... Um, He's going to milk them on. He's going to add value for uh, and sell them kind of March, April. But he did decide he's going to sell them out of the parlour. He's not going to. He's not going to avail of that 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 finishing um, margin. So really, look at in terms of that when we actually look at the calculations, and the calculations were done, I suppose, to come up with to come up to come up and really to. To show, I suppose, Stuart, that that it's the correct decision, and it's going to not, it's not going to have a negative effect in terms of trying to improve his calving pattern. So simply, I'm not going to go through every line again. It's the same kind of table. We have our March calver, the number of cows, the additional liters, the value of them, the additional um, feed and forage and overhead costs, and the extra margin. So when we actually look this this particular firm had 80 cows that were going to be milked over, albeit 40 of them were going to be dried off 
in mid-January, but there's still 40 cows there to be milked on. Um, there's 66,730 extra litres, uh, which equates to just over 25,000, um, 11,500 of feed costs uh, and overhead costs. There's nearly 14,000 euros stewards um, available of a margin in terms of milking those cows on. And it's just too great not to do it. Um, so, and I made the point at the start, when these cows are culled as such, um, I'm not that concerned about it, Stuart, um, once they are culled. Um, and, and this particular man, because he has the accommodation and the feed, he's right to milk it on and add value to his culls. All right. Um, the finishing margin, if he was to do it, and I suppose these had to be calculated out for him, um, there's about 1,400 quid there in terms of finishing those additional four, eight, uh, 13, 22 cows. Um, and for 1,400 quid, he said he wasn't going bothering with that. As I said, he's he's a one-owner operator. He's 120 cows to calve. Um, he was, he was going to sell them ahead of the parlour in that March, April period. But I suppose this was the slide that that maybe um, that maybe got us across the line, Stuart, in terms of the decision-making process. Um, when we actually looked at really this man's concern was was he going to be down money, um, and that's the concern probably for most of us uh, when we're dealing with anything or making any decision. Um, so all I've done is I've took the May June calvers that table from the start that we looked at. Now, don't forget, he's going to milk the May and June calvers on. Okay, he's decided that. So when we actually look, the February calved heifer is going to do about 80%, uh, possibly up to 82 or 3% um, of what their actual potential is. But we worked of 80%. So that heifer is going to deliver 5,200 litres, okay? He has room to milk his culls on. So by replacing half of the May calvers, we didn't, he didn't make the full jump in one year, Stuart, because he just felt there would be too many culls. Um, so he's going to have no cow calved after the middle of May. But replacing half the May calvers and all the June calvers, this particular farmer is actually going to be up 4,218 litres. Um, it's not an awful lot. It's not going to have a, a, a big impact. But the key thing but is I think the main the main point is exactly he's not down milk. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think the important point here and the selling point was he's an opportunity to correct cell count issues, but he's also adding value. He's breaking that cycle and he's adding value to the herd. Has he a more valuable herd if he does this, makes the move, than if he stayed and continued doing what he's doing? Absolutely he has. And as you say, Stuart. The main point is he's not down. He's not actually going to be down um, milk. Yes, there'll be a small additional um, cost if he has if if someone had to go and purchase the heifers, but um, in the grand scheme of things, it's actually it, it's usually not a, a a big amount of money. So that, I th I think to go on, I'll let you finish up there first. Yeah. So Lucas, I think the most important point is. Really, herds with a spread out calving pattern, they can't afford not to mill through. Okay. But it's it's putting the steps um, in place that they've a decision that they can actually make the decision in a couple of years' time. So the important point is that, that the breeding season can still end 
and we can still add value to our culls. Um, but by bringing in extra heifers or that February calved heifer, we can, as I said, break that prolonged cycle. And as I showed on the last slide, Stuart, we're not going to be down. Um, we're not going to be down big volumes of, of milk. We're actually going to be up in this case. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for that, James. I suppose the reason that we wanted to cover this, uh, that we've, we've been looking at it in the last couple of months, I suppose, is that the, the people out there challenge us all the time when we talk about culling these cows. And we wanted to put the scenario in place for people to see, the, uh, like you've done there, work through the, the financials of it. And I suppose acknowledge that fact that where a calving pattern isn't correct or is, is off centre, we'll say, um, that the reality is that you just actually cannot afford to do what we would like people to do in terms of Big Bang Theory, like people have other commitments, their family, they have colleges, they have school fees, etc. all those kind of things coming into play. There's money needed at different times of the year <clears throat> and people have to generate money. They can't just take the pain, basically. So I think this is a very good example of how over time we can correct calving patterns um, and not necessarily be out of pocket doing it but the key point, as you said, is that you have to stop the cycle. You have to break the cycle of if you can't have the May and June calvers again next year, unless you're okay, actually yep. going to dispose of them, basically. So to avoid and look at yours. In some cases, in some cases, it's it's a matter of chipping away. It's pulling two weeks off the breeding season every year, or if it's very extended, maybe three weeks and two weeks. It it, it chip away at it, as you say. You can do it over a two or three year period and then at least you have a decision to make in terms of that overwinter milking and so on and so forth you know yeah and i suppose the other thing then again james coming back to the impact of we'll say the, the the drift on the whole farming system the number of guys that i've encountered down this side of the country that have maybe a week off maybe between finishing calving and breeding now they're still feeding calves and so forth obviously but they're just not watching cows to calve or checking on any cows to calve albeit only maybe one or two anyway, um, in that week before they start breeding. Their breeding season is impacted in two senses. They have cows calved and ready to be bred in the vast majority of cases, but they're tuned in the day that that breeding start date comes, whatever that date is for given particular geog geography and so forth, people start at different times, but they're ready to hit the ground running. They're, they're re-energised basically because they're not trying to keep thinking of feeding the bit of pre-calve or to the one that's still left to be calved or the couple of cows that are left to be calved. So if you multiply that up with May and June calvers, there's a whole lot going on in people's heads. Uh, and it just means that they're not focused on the job at hand then potentially uh, when they should be. So that's uh, there's positive Im impacts that you can almost not put a financial uh, benefit on Take because on. it's very hard to quantify. Yeah, um, absolutely. So there's one very good point again by Tony McCrossan there. So, and I think we you we probably didn't highlight it actually, James, on the example that you showed there. But that, should that farmer not also get rid of the stock bull and only use high EBI sires for the future? And I think that's probably something that you did do with him. That that that's that's in place absolutely. He he um he uh, when the breeding season that was one condition when the breeding season ended he went to the marsh. So um. Because if they don't leave the farm, they're inclined to be used. So, yeah. um, uh, absolutely. And look, at there, there's one final point, Stuart, and I didn't mention it, I suppose. It's a little bit of a chicken and an egg scenario in the fact that which comes first, getting rid of the late calvers um, and the high six-week calving rate. We'll never achieve, and you could see that, man, you never achieve high enough submission rates to increase their six-week calving rate 
unless um, those May and June calf cows are sorted out, as you say, because they're just not going to breed in, in, the, in that early breeding season period, you know. And then just one final question. I've left this one hanging here. Hopefully Jan is still listening. But John Coston was asking, would it be more economical to start calving in mid-January to avoid the April-May calves then? Um, if we go on a farm, Stuart, and we're in a situation where a farm is actually calving um, in mid-January, I would sort out the May-June calvers before I would ask them to move calving date. But if we're in a situation where we have, and we work towards compacting that, that we've no more May-June calvers. Um, look, at, we know the economics, we've seen it. We shouldn't really be starting to calve before that kind of end of January, early February. Um, um, start a calving. Very good. So thanks again, James, for coming on. It's a very comprehensive uh, piece of work that yourself and George have done there in relation to that. So. Uh, and it, as I said, it's uh, I think it's been good to work through that from the point of view that we are often, uh, I suppose, blamed or given out to that we talk about calling these cows and then we're, like you're you're kind of ignoring that they're the elephant in the room about the, the volume and the sum of money that's associated with or the revenue that that's generating for that farm. And it's very easy to for us to come in and say, oh, get rid of them. But when you actually put the sums behind it and show what impact it can have on a farm to just take them out like that. Um, it, like you just have to be able to come up with an alternative option and your alternative option is that you work your process through over the next two or three years to get to where you want to but you're not going to it's not going to cost you a fortune in the meantime so so thanks James for coming on I suppose just two announcements or three announcements that I, I want to make I suppose um, John Moriarty who's a colleague of mine here in, in the and covers the Nefertiti project is uh, running a project uh, a competition there which is This Is Daring photo competition what do you love about dairy farming just to remind people that that's there if you're interested in entering and the second thing that i want to announce is that uh, a week's notice i suppose for you monster bovine are going to run uh, a webinar on uh, this night week so next thursday night uh, and i'll remind you of it again next week um and they're going to cover the new milk performance re recording reports we'd say the lifetime report because they've gotten a lot of feedback in the last couple of months that uh that it's not being actually actively used, I suppose, on the ground or people aren't very aware of it and aren't maybe kind of getting the information that they should be getting out of it, which was why they were developed in the first place. So just a reminder of that, Dennis Howard, Doreen Card and uh, Tommy DeVette is going to be chairing it and our own uh, Joe Patton, who actually put the economic figures behind the figures that have been used in those lifetime reports will also be involved in it on the night. So just to remind people of that. So if you just look it up, I'd say, it's, uh, it's being advertised on Facebook and Twitter there at the moment by Monster Bovine and you should be able to find a link to join it there. And then uh, just to say that I'll be back again next week. I'm just in the process of trying to confirm a speaker for next week. So um, there's just a kind of a little glitch came in terms of the plan, but we're hoping to be covering a piece of biodiversity work uh, in advance of the, the hedge cutting season coming about. So just to remind a lot of people about their obligations under derogation and also the importance of trying to enhance uh, biodiversity at farm level. So we look forward to hopefully having that going uh, in some form next week. So we'll be back at 10 next Thursday and uh, we'll talk to you then. And in the meantime, take care and uh, everybody um, be safe. Okay, so thanks again, James. That's all for this week's Let's Talk Dairy webinar series. And don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week. I'll be back with our usual Dairy Edge interview on Monday, so do listen in then. I'm Emma Louise Coffey and thanks for listening.